23-1242 Eastern Missouri, Matthew Meenan v. Bi-State Development Agency. Mr. Ponder. May it please the court. Uh, good morning, your honors. Uh, my name is Doug Ponder. I represent the appellant, Matthew Meenan. In this case, uh, I've sensed a theme today. Uh, this is also a 12B6 dismissal issue, um, a pleading issue. This is in the context of an employment uh, discrimination and retaliation case brought by Mith uh, Mr. Minan against uh, his former employer, uh, Bi-State, which is commonly known as Metro here in St. Louis. Um, the the district court dismissed all of the counts that we asserted against Bi-State. There are four counts. Um, I'm going to focus on count one, which is the retaliation count, because uh, I'll acknowledge to the court that's our primary count, and uh, it's, uh, I think, our strongest count and the one that I uh, particularly want to, to spend my time arguing. Um, uh, of course, if there's questions on the other counts, I'll be happy to answer them, but... Uh, I am going to intend to, to focus on count one. So um, I'm not going to uh, bore the court with a detailed fact uh, listing, but I'm going to go through the, the facts that I think are particularly important to the retaliation count. Um, what we've got here is a uh, uh, what's called a TSS, which is basically Metro's police or security uh, force. That's the his title. Uh, transportation security specialist. They, they ride the trains and the buses and, and, and are essentially um, security slash police. They don't carry guns, so I don't know if they're considered police, but they are the, the security force for Metro. Um, Mr. Minan started in 2013. He became a lead, so he, uh, he was promoted. Um, he was with Metro for uh, eight years with a, a good record. Um, continuously met his employment uh, requirements, stayed employed for, for eight years until 2021. In 2021, uh, uh, we allege that he began to be harassed by a, another TSS, uh, so a co-worker slash subordinate because uh, Mr. Minan was a lead, the harasser was not a lead. So um, Mr. Minan filed a complaint with Metro um, informing them of the harassment. Um, uh, that complaint was ignored, no action was taken. Uh, approximately four weeks after he filed the complaint, he issued a written disciplinary notice to the harasser directly through himself because he was a lead and she was underneath him. So he, he directly gave her a disciplinary notice about the harassment she was doing to him. Four weeks after that, he was terminated. Um, there was no progressive discipline. There was no steps. It was, you're fired. Um, we allege in the petition that the, the, the reasoning for firing him was, was false and pretextual. Um, and we also allege that the decision maker was aware of the complaints uh, that Mr. Minan had made. But the reasons are not alleged. The, it's conclusory. Which reasons? The reasons why he was fired? The, the pretextual allegation. 
Well, you're correct on it. It's general, not specific. Yeah, I don't think there's any requirement that the reasons why he has to be alleged are in there. That was a yes or no. Yes, that's correct. And I'll even sort of explain to you why we leave those out. The significance is briefed, but you just wanted to slide over. Well, because I think the key fact is that they were false. Not what they were in the pleading stage, but that what they said was false. And obviously the reasons they say will come out in summary judgment, but we're not in summary judgment. We're in pleading phase. So that's all I wanted to mention about that. And what I wanted to go into was the Wilson case, which I cited and discussed. Judge Loken, you wrote a dissent on that case, if you recall. That case, I think, is directly on point. That case involves a retaliation claim under Title VII, and there this court held that a six-week temporal proximity between the protected activity and the termination is enough at the pleading stage to state a case of retaliation. And that case makes very clear that these retaliation I see a big distinction. Okay. Regardless of how I voted in Wilson. In Wilson, there was enough pleaded to consider the alternative explanation. And then the majority and I disagreed about the adequacy, significance, and so forth. Correct. That's why I don't plead the reason. Here, what happened is our, and I'm not being cynical, but it looks like in Blomker there was too much pleaded and the plaintiff lost. So here there was too much pleaded in addition to temporal proximity. So the pleading only is temporal proximity. No other facts are pleaded, and therefore I get past a motion to dismiss. Is that what you're suggesting, that there's no facts in my case? Yeah. Well, I would disagree, Judge. There are numerous facts in my case. But what was present in Wilson for the panel to debate, this pleading does not allow us to debate that. You're referring to the alternative explanation theory. Right. Yes, correct. And that's done by design. Because you didn't plead the reasons given, there's no basis for conducting what dominates the Wilson opinion. Doesn't that actually favor the plaintiff, not the defendant? What's that? The fact that there was no alternative explanation evident. Of course. And, Judge, that's why. No, no. The question is, since everybody agrees that temporal proximity by itself is not enough, can you skate by Iqbal by just pleading temporal proximity and giving no other facts? Well, in Wilson, yes. That, to me, is the question here. Yes, you can. That was not presented in Wilson. Yes, it was. It was, Judge. Wilson discusses that directly and expressly. And it says that in the pleading stage, six-week temporal proximity is enough. It's directly discussed by the majority. And here we have four weeks. Because when you view the evidence favorable to the plaintiff, the last protected activity is the act of the written discipline to the harasser. And that's only four weeks before the termination. So we've got less temporal proximity. And if you read Wilson close, if you read the majority, that does stand for the proposition that at the pleading stage, six weeks in and of itself is enough. 
But Judge, we've got more here than just the six weeks. We've got significant facts alleged that allow for an inference of, of I causation. I appreciate that argument. That, that, that. And, and if I can, the, the facts are that support this is, first off, you've got, and, and this is different than Wilson. Wilson, the, the, the plaintiff, worked at the employer for two years. Here we have an eight-year employee who had a good record, got promoted up to a lead, worked fine for eight years, starts, makes the complaint, they ignore the complaint, then writes up his harasser, and in four weeks, he's terminated. And another distinction between this case and Wilson, which favors our argument here, is that in, in Wilson, what, what you relied on Judge Loken is for the alternative explanation theory was the fact that there was progressive discipline. And, and, and that was in the, the pleadings. That, I don't know that here. Well, we don't know that here, but the point is... Because it was carefully not pleaded. Well, and there, everything, there, there, everything there, you pleaded is, is, is prior to the events in question. The, the conclusory assertion of, of pretext, pretextual false reasons is simply, is simply conclusory. Yeah, all you've, all you've alleged is a legal conclusion, right? As, as it was specifically with period, the pretext. Period, but we yes. don't even know what was pretextual. We just say that the termination was made for reasons that are pretextual, period. But, and, and so do you have to plead anything at all about the reasons for termination? No. I mean, and so basically what you're saying, my complaint stands on the facts that I alleged about the misconduct on the part of the unnamed co-worker, right? And that uh, my I filed um, a disciplinary letter, and four weeks after that, I was terminated. And the reasons were pretextual. And what you're saying is, you said all of this is evidence that my termination was retaliatory, and that's sufficient. That's correct. At the pleading stage, of course. At the pleading stage, at the summary judgment stage, there'll be all sorts of evidence. They'll introduce the the reasons why they allegedly terminated him. All that stuff will come out in the summary judgment phase. But in the in the pleading phase, and, and be, and I just want to explain here that the. Plaintiffs are put in a real catch-22 when it comes to this alternative explanation theory because if we plead what they say they terminate us for, we are putting into the record for a judge to say, uh, I, I buy that more than what you're saying, so I'm going to go with that. So it, it, it not, and there is no requirement that we allege the reason we were told. And so that's why I left it out, but I, but I included that, that we allege that it's false and pretextual because that information at the pleading stage I think is relevant, but it's not dispositive either way. We, don't, we didn't have to allege that. We would still have a sufficient pleading of retaliation even if we just said we were terminated four weeks after we, we issued the, the, um, the written disciplinary notice to my harasser. Uh, well, the Wilson majority says this court considers whether there are lawful, obvious alternative explanations for the alleged conduct that would render Wilson's complaint implausible. McDonnell versus Anoka County, quoting Iqbal. Yeah, sure, they're allowed to consider it, but I'm not required to plead it for the defense. Well, that's the question. If it's an Iqbal requirement that needs to be considered, and there are no facts that allow it to be considered. Is the pleading sufficient, Judge? I don't. I don't think there's Wilson any case. Doesn't answer that. 
the pleadings are sufficient because I'm not required to plead an alternative explanation. Yeah, that's the true. defendant can argue it if they I'm want say, to. That's what, a careful, that's what a careful reading of Wilson leads you to conclude is a binding holding on, a, on our court. I just read something that's contrary to your careful reading. Judge, I, I don't think that says that I have to plead the... You don't have to. I know. That's, that's my but point. the question is what happens if you don't? You look at whether the facts that I've alleged are sufficient to and state a claim under retaliation, and, and they if, are. If an essential element of the claim or basis for the claim is, is a pretextual termination, how much has to be alleged? It's, that's, that's, not a, that's not an element of the claim, Judge. The, the element of a, of a retaliation claim, the elements are, hold on one second. We're, we're talking McDonnell-Douglas pleading here. No, that's a summary judgment standard, Judge. McDonnell-Douglas is a summary judgment standard. You know, that, that's, that's crystal that's, clear. That's very nice. That's very easy categorization, but, but we don't function that way. Judge, the elements of a like retaliation that. claim are... I know what they are. He engaged in protected conduct. You don't have to read them to me. Okay. Here's, here's the real question, and, and this is what I'm... What, what I, what I think is, is at the heart of what what this discussion is. Um, there was no answer interposed in this particular case. The, as I understand it, is that true? There was no what? Answer. The defendant did not answer. I believe that's correct. I know they, there was a motion they, they to dismiss. a motion, right? Yeah. Now, they could have interposed an answer. If they interposed the answer, they could have pled that... You know that uh, uh, Mr. Minan was terminated for the following reasons: A, B, and C. Here is the disciplinary process that we did, and they could have alleged all that as an affirmative defense. Now that would be in front of us, and we certainly, on a 12b6 uh, motion, which would be on the pleadings, we could look at it even at this pleading stage and say, well, you know, they've they, they've pled this, they've attached this exhibit. You know, uh, there's been no response of affidavit. There's been no ask, no no effort on your part to to interpose why you believe that's pretextual. And, and we could analyze all that here, right? But when that's not raised, either because you pled it in the first instance in the complaint, or because the defense has raised it in their answer, then the question is: Does Iqbal actually require you to plead what you know about their? their reasons for termination. And I think your answer is, is quite plain from everything you said, but... Is no. Yeah. Right, you, right. You, you, that is not a pleading requirement. It is not an element of a retaliation claim. And so your argument that says there's an Iqbal problem on the evidence to consider uh, pretext, it's on the defense for failing to interpose an answer or to set it forth in an appropriate um, affidavit or something attached to their motion, which they couldn't do if they were in 12b-6. They'd be looking to try and convert it into a, a summary judgment motion, right? And I wouldn't even say it's anything that, that the defense did wrong. That's just a summary judgment issue where it's going to get it's going to get addressed in summary judgment. No, most, it, it most could typically. be in a motion on the pleadings. Yeah, if it's pled, it could be, it could be taken it up here, but not being pled... We're stuck with what you pled, and the question is, is your pleading defective? Right. And is it, is it required that I plead what they said, and, it is, and it's and not it, an element of, the, of, of a retaliation? It's not that's helpful my to the process to, to force every qualified immunity issue to go to summary judgment stage. 
Judge, I don't think we have qualified immunity in this case. This is this isn't a qualified immunity is not even an issue in this case, Judge. That's my time. Thank you. Thanks. Franklin. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court, Corey Lewis Franklin, Ford and Harrison for Bi-State Development Agency. Your Honors, this is essentially what I would characterize as a yada, yada, yada pleading. Plaintiff effectively asserts, I'm a white male. I was terminated. I complained that a subordinate employee acted in an uncouth fashion toward me between the time that I complained and my termination. Yada, 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 fill in the blanks. It was retaliatory, discriminatory. That... Well, there's quite a bit more than that. In our estimation, there may be some more, but perhaps not a lot more. And fundamentally, while I recognize Iqbal is the most recent iteration of kind of an enhanced notice pleading standard that the Supreme Court has articulated, I see this case as more analogous to Bell v. Twombly, which really kind of started this progression towards a more rigorous level of pleading in the federal courts. Counsel, why do we have to look back to that? Why can't we just look at Wilson? Isn't this case governed by our decision in Wilson? I believe if you look at the case in Wilson, I believe this case is distinguishable insofar as the focus on temporal proximity in and of itself, as I think the court observed in the opening questioning, in and of itself is insufficient. And in Wilson, there were a host of intervening temporal acts. What support do you have for that proposition that at this pleading stage, temporal proximity is insufficient to prove, to plead the causal element? Prior holdings of... Is it directly contrary to that, in fact? I'm sorry? Isn't Wilson directly contrary to that proposition? There were multiple... In Wilson, it involved multiple tangible employment actions that ran in succession. I'm talking about pleading requirements. If there is nothing more than temporal proximity than the but-for cause, offering any evidence on the but-for causation... I don't think that's necessarily true, because you could have a proximity case from which someone could draw such a strong inference that it's pled and it survives just on that. Say, for example, I complained that my supervisor, who happened to be the son-in-law of the CEO, was engaging in sexual harassment of me. And 15 minutes later, I was terminated for being late three months earlier, right? And standing alone, that, you know, 15 minutes later, you know, the boss comes down and fires you. That could be a sufficient pleading and enough to say, well, you get by the opening pleading, don't you think? Certainly, the court has held that an immediate tangible employment action proximate to an act of protected activity can 
suffice. Um, and in this case, plaintiff submits that his own discipline of the alleged harassing subordinate employee was an additional occurrence of protected activity, uh, which I, I'm a, a bit puzzled by as a matter of law itself. And, but, and that but, is the real question. Right. Was it eight weeks or four weeks? Right. Or but even even assuming, you know, if if the issue if the issue is that as a matter of law well, in the I'll, circuit I'll, that I'll four be, weeks is sufficient. I'll then read I, you a quote from the district court, page six. This leaves a temporal gap of approximately one month between mine and serving the disciplinary warning and his termination. So wh why isn't that the period we're looking at? I, I, I'm, I'm even conceding that that, that would be an, you know, the appropriate period. That is the period that the district court looked at. That is what it is. Which is but, less than the period in Wilson. And, which and, was sufficient. And in Wilson, there were a host of intervening facts that were pleaded to demonstrate a measure of but-for causation that is the third element for a cause or for a cause of action for retaliation that aren't present here. There, I mean, is, is a supervisor issuing a disciplinary letter to a subordinate a protected activity? I, I'm I, ha, I have not found a case directly on point for that. Here. Yeah, and it's clear that the district court believed that that was that that that. Uh, that retaliation related to that second act is the four-week period. Now, I think that, that myself, it, that may be an open question of law, whether or not, sure. you know, because it's a different thing than, than I filed a complaint with somebody rather than I took an action to discipline somebody, right? I mean, that's, correct. you know, you're, you're wearing a different hat at that point. Right. One hat you're wearing, at the very first complaint you're wearing, the I'm a complainant hat, and I'm trying to protect my rights uh, to be free from being in an abusive, hostile environment, right? And the other one, you're wearing a hat that says, I'm a supervisor, it's my duty to make sure there isn't that type of Correct. environment. Correct. And indeed, as plaintiff alleges, the agency in what he, what he purports to assert as a similarly situated case uh, did impose discipline to a male employee who was engaged in sexual harassment on a claim that was investigated. Uh, and, you know, we don't know the who, what, where, when, why, or how of, of what his complaint was and to whom. Uh, you know, as, as we heard in earlier arguments today, he doesn't identify any of the alleged decision makers. He doesn't allege the person to whom that he uh, made any complaint. Uh, he doesn't draw any connection about how those folks would be aware that he even issued discipline to the subordinate employee, uh, this, this written warning, to, to, tie, to tie those unknown um, decision makers to the, 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 uh, uh, the alleged protected concerted activity within the four-week period. It's, it's a very threadbare and conclusory treatment of the issue. Okay. As I look at the complaint, there are four other facts that were pled, and I will go through them and let you react to them. Uh, in paragraph three, it's alleged that no investigation was ever conducted regarding his allegations by his harasser. Uh, paragraph 10, he worked for Bi-State uh, for a period of eight years. Paragraph 10 also, uh, or I'm sorry, it's paragraph 12. He was qualified in all, as all aspects for his job. And also in paragraph 12, during those eight years, he always met the expectations for his position. Why wouldn't that go to create inferences as to uh, the causal element of the claim? If, if, there, is, if there is no 
assertion um, that he was, aside from saying, you know, if, if you were a model employee and threw a rock through the front windshield of your boss and you were terminated, I would submit that that's a relevant fact that, that would need to be pleaded to provide the full context of the allegations that you're making. And the, the pleadings are entirely devoid of at least what the proffered reason was to measure whether those, those facts are sufficient to state but for causation under, under the retaliation prong. So, I'm sorry, I'm not understanding. Are you saying he needed to plead the stated reason for At least the proffered reason, whether it's, you know, at, at a minimum, it, it allows the well, I'm court. I'm not aware of any case where we've said that they have to plead the proffered reason in their complaint. If he, if if his, if his allegations, at, at least as again, your honor, as I read them, reach the conclusion by virtue of essentially mere mere attendance on the job uh, as as sufficient, combined with now wait, there's a question uh, for what case says that? I don't, I'm, you're about I'm to, sorry. You're about to not answer that question. I, I apologize, your honor. Is there any authority for the proposition that a plaintiff in a retaliation claim must plead the proffered reason for termination or adverse employment action? Off the top, off the top of my head, I can't cite it for you. Yeah, and it seems not to be an element to the claim, right? So that's why that question is important. If it's not an element of the claim, you usually don't have to plead it or facts to support it, right? It's a, it actually that's part of the defense that you might have, right? Which which means like. You could put in an answer and say that. And we, sure, still be, we could assert we, as an affirmative defense. Yeah, we had a, reason, a legitimate non-discriminatory yeah. reason. And then we sure. still could have been deciding it under 12b-6, right? You know, looking at it, you know. Um, but what we've got here really is that the evidence of causation, I assume you're going to say, is, is not sufficiently pled. That what you've got is proximity. You know, whether it's four weeks or eight weeks, that's close. And you'd say that, that, that there's that. Uh, there's an adverse employment action, not disputed. Um, and then what do you have? He pleads three things. He says uh, uh, what uh, Judge Graza says is that there was no investigation of the underlying complaint, okay, uh, that he had made. And then the other two is I've been here for a long time, eight years, and I've been a good employee, and I have always met expectations, and I haven't been subject to a disciplinary process, Right. Correct. Okay. Now, you take those last two, they really aren't evidence of causation. They're, they go to evidence of pretext, right, if there was right. some, some basis for termination, right? But the first one is really about causation. It is about how I made the complaint. Nobody did anything. I was told by someone I was a supervisor, and I thought, man, I am the supervisor. I have the right to act myself. I have a duty to act. He chose to act. Then he was terminated. And isn't that enough uh, to meet temporal proximity plus? I, I would submit, and uh, I referred earlier to a, a somewhat analogous scenario under uh, in Bell versus Twombly, which admittedly was a Sherman Act case, um, looking at the notion of whether um, in, in, in the context of, you know, um, various corporations uh, acting 
um, in a consistent fashion together was enough to establish um, a conspiracy sufficient to meet a claim under the Sherman Act. And it, it seemed, as I, as I read that, uh, that it's, it's, it, it begs the notion of correlation relating to causation in the Supreme Court in Bell versus Twombly, um, you know, which is the, the forebearer to Iqbal, said that, that simply the court... It was a summary judgment case, wasn't it? The, 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 the notion that uh, reviewing the pleadings in, in Twombly, the, the, the notion was that those pleadings were insufficient because while uh, they showed some, uh, some fashion of correlation, they did not prove or offer facts sufficient to establish causation. And that, that's the, the, juxt, uh, the, the crux of what I'm getting at, Your Honors. As it... As it relates to the notion of uh, Mr. Minan and his uh, his suggestion that the the time in and of itself uh, is sufficient to meet the standard under Wilson, again in Wilson you had a charge of discrimination, a, a far more uh, discreet and discernible uh, act of protected, uh, protected activity. Uh, and then, as I said, within subsequent, with, over the course of that six-week period, subsequent uh, tangible employment actions that allowed the trier fact to... Yeah, it, it seems to me that every, everybody is ignoring the district court's analysis when he states he's, he's talking about the pleading for a retaliation claim, and he states what the prima facie case is to make such a show. And, of course, you don't necessarily have to plead a prima facie case, but if you don't, you're in trouble. Uh, he says to make such a showing generally more than a temporal connection between protected conduct and adverse employment action is required, citing Tognosi, nobody's talking about Eastern District of Missouri, quoting Kyle Keel, one of our early cases on this subject, and and referencing Nassar, the Supreme Court case that, that I thought uh, the majority ignored in Wilson. So the district court itself rejected the notion that, that just pleading temporal proximity and carefully pleading nothing else will get you past the Iqbal hammer. Correct. And yet this whole discussion is to the contrary. Fair, Your Honor. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly right. I think the real question is, is the lack of an investigation when added to temporal proximity, is that enough? And I'm sure your answer is going to be, no way, hey. You know? but, and I, but I think that's, that's where you kind of struggle on this because there's not, not really many facts pled. There's just like we had an investigation. And we, and, and we didn't have an investigation. I apologize, Ron. I didn't mean to, to talk over you. Um, and and ultimately, the the threshold that uh, Twombly, that Iqbal establish is one that encourages a measure of fact pleading 
above and beyond mere threadbare allegations, above and beyond mere conclusory allegations. And we find ourselves debating at this point, um, you know, what, whether it is more advantageous and, and we would endorse a proposition where plaintiffs plead materially less facts um, than would provide a defendant fair notice of the particulars of the conduct for which they're being charged. But you pled materially less facts when you failed to interpose an answer that said, here's the reasons for the termination. But I'm not at that, at that stage not required to answer if the, if the pleadings in and of themselves are fundamentally Well, you deficient. take your chances as to how we I, I, see it understood. at the pleading stage, sure. Then, right? Sure. I, I, I see I'm out of time. I, I won't burden the court further. Thank you, Your Honors. Your rebuttal he, time? His time had expired. I'll give you a minute. I'll just briefly. You, you might address oh. what I just read from the district court's own opinion. The, Judge, I, I think the what my response would be that this is not a bare minimum threadbare allegations. Okay. I'm. I believe that we have pled additional facts. I read that the district court didn't think just bare bones temporal proximity is enough, is necessarily enough. Right. He he said generally, which first off could imply. Your main argument was to the contrary. But but no, no, Judge, what I'm saying is. Wilson, as you are interpreting it for us this morning, is is contrary, isn't consistent with the district court. District Court didn't read Wilson that way. And, and if you read close, the, the, the Wilson says specifically, given the allegations here, the six months is enough. And what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. And I'm saying we have okay. we have additional facts alleged as well. Okay. And what are the facts? Are they simply the lack of the investigation? It's the other. You went, you went through all three. All three, and I look at the other two, and I'd say I don't know that they show causation. But how do they show causation? I would disagree. It shows that they the the the, the sort of the fact that he was there for a long time and never disciplined and then automatically fired shows that he wouldn't have been fired if he wouldn't have fired the, if he wouldn't have if he wouldn't have filed the. The complaints and did the did the written notice. And counsel, wasn't Keel a summary judgment case? I believe, off the top of my head, uh, don't don't quote me definitively, but I believe so. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, counsel. Case has been thoroughly briefed and argued, and we'll take it under advisement.